This program is presented by CreamCityUSA.com. This is Lauren Green. We're going back now to the Old West, to a time and place where life was simpler, more honest, and certainly more violent. Where men and women were always what they seemed to be, except at certain times and in certain places. And that's the story you're about to hear. A story of a man who really might not have been what he seemed. A man who felt himself to be outside the law and who finally had to make a terrible decision. Now let me introduce you to our storyteller, the Reverend Thomas Haller, a hard, gray, little man of God and former cavalryman, a minister well-suited to the needs of his frontier flock. It was a warm April morning in 1879 when Bill Miller showed us his true colors. Picture him now in his general store on Main Street, sweating a bit in spite of the mildness of the day. A small boy named Jason had just returned from delivering the latest order of groceries and rubs on his sleeve the bright new copper penny he has earned. Bill Miller is tired and bored. His last customers, a pair of churchly ladies, poked their noses through his finest yards of Belgian lace for nearly an hour, then went away declaring none of it fit for purchase. Ah, but here are two new customers. Yeah, storekeep, we want to look at your dresses. Yeah, we want to look at your dresses. Well, I think you gents come to the wrong place. The Tin Dipper's right next door, as fine a saloon as ever served three-day-old rot gut. And so they looked each other over. A middle-aged storekeeper in a loose white apron and string tie. And two easy-moving men with brimroll stetsons low over wide, dark, staring eyes. Miller's heart was beating very fast, as it always did when he'd faced a real hard case or two. But on this soft-spoken April morning, something new entered the equation. These two hard cases were in for a surprise themselves, for they've just met a storekeeper who's just a little bit more than they'd ever met before. And that's only the beginning of our story. Mutual Radio Theater, a new adventure in radio listening. Five nights of exceptional entertainment every week, brought to you in Elliot Lewis's production of the Mutual Radio Theater. Our story, The Storekeeper, by John Allen. Our stars, John Larch, Keith Andes, Mary Jane Croft, and Vic Perrin. Mutual Radio Theater is brought to you by Sears, a name that means quality and value a name that you can count on for service and dependability. Sears, where America shops for value. What's in a name? Well, it takes a lot of fine names to make Sears names stand for quality. Names you've always counted on, like Kenmore, Craftsman, Easy Living, and Die Hard. Names that kids and moms cheer, like Winnie the Pooh and Tough Skins. Names that are a part of your life today, like Permapress, Klingalon, and Winter 2. And, of course, they're Sears Best products in everything from T-shirts to tractors. What's in a name? Well, it takes a lot of truly dependable names to make our name. Sears Roebuck & Company. 
Helen, don't buy that pain reliever. Why not? They're all the same. Check the labels. Okay, uh, two tablets of regular Tylenol, 650 milligrams. Check the other pain relievers, too. Bayer, 650 milligrams. Bufferin, 650 milligrams. Anison, oh, 800 milligrams. I didn't know Anison had more pain reliever. That's what makes Anison different. More pain reliever and a special combination of medical ingredients. I'm switching to Anison. Get the Anison difference. Use only as directed. We are back in Bill Miller's general store at what one might call the moment of truth. Although they would laugh at that phrase in a western town of the 1870s. As the Reverend Haller tells us, Two men face the third, the storekeeper, and he makes a guess that really isn't a guess. I think you gents want what's in the cash drawer. Well, listen now. He reads our mind. <laughs> okay, mind reader, just open up the till. Here, let me help you. I really hate to have you take it. Worked awful hard for them few dollars. Well, look at the trouble we're saving you taking it to the bank. Get it, Bob. You boys are making a mistake. Under the apron, in the belly gun. I ain't never seen it so fast. Jason, boy, go for the marshal and the doctor. Here, here, take these guns and lay them outside the door where the marshal can pick them up. I told you, boys. Now you just slide down there and rest easy till the sawbones comes. Marshal Blodgett restored the peace, though he had very little to do at that point. He invited storekeeper Miller down to his office at the jail for a little talk. I was a witness to their conversation, for I'd been tasting the marshal's bitter coffee that soft April morning. The boy, Jason, had just stammered out a story of the shooting to the marshal, and had been excused with another bright copper penny, promising to go home and tell his mama all about it. And he surely will tell her, too. Be all over town by noon. Well, Mr. Miller, you did shoot two men just now. You'd expect it wouldn't be all over town? Well, I guess... You ever see those two before? Nope. Little Walt Besser and Bob Morgan. Two curly wolves, if ever I seen them. How did they make your acquaintance, sir? Well, they just come in the store and went for the money. I asked them not to. Would have given them a dollar each for a bath and a few beers that asked me. But much to your surprise, they didn't ask. Nope. No curly wolves, like you call them. They, they never do. They never do. And so? So, well, they went for the cash drawer, and I slammed it on the tall one's hand and went for the belly gun. Never noticed you carried a weapon. <laughs> well, uh, under the apron with, with my beer belly and all, you don't really see it. May I see it now? Oh, sure. Here. <clears throat> don't see many of these short-barreled Colts. How many times you fire it? In the store? Well, two was all it took. Lucky I was close to them. Chance to aim. For the shoulder. You worry me, Mr. Miller. You're just a touch too good with a revolver for a common storekeeper. Gunfighters make me nervous. <laughs> me too, Marshal. Uh, could I have a cup of that coffee? Oh, sure. Here you are, Mr. Miller. Uh, drink slowly. It'll take the skin off your bones. Mr. Miller, where do you hail from? Maslon, Ohio. I know that town. And where were you before you came here? Um, too many questions, Marshal. Don't like to talk about it. That store won't do too well if you're spending the day in my jail. Mm. I guess not. 
all right. I drifted around. After the war, I punched cows up in Kansas. Worked on the railroad out of Abilene. Drove a freight wagon. Went back home, got a steak from a dad. Came out and bought old Benson's store. You know the rest. You do look familiar. You ever wear a beard? No, sir. Been clean-shaved all my life. Serving the war? Yes, sir. Oh, Ohio Cavalry Unit. And so did I, sir. What was your regiment? Oh, not too long ago. Don't remember. Marshal, can I go now? I guess so. Jason boy tells the truth most of the time, and from his story, he was pushed. Those two curly wolves that pushed you do have a certain stink around these parts. Quite up to doing what you said they did. Here, Miller, your short colts. It'll need cleaning. Yeah, thank you, sir. It surely will. Don't use it again, Miller. Not in my territory. Oh, hope not ever to have to use it again anywhere, Marshal. You believe him? The shooting? Yes. He saved me some trouble with those two badens. There's something familiar about him. Can't get a hold of it. Well, I'll tell you something familiar, Reverend. I know a gunfighter when I see one. One good thing, when this story gets around, his cash drawer is going to be safe as a church. (laughs) Safer than my church. (laughs) Marshal... You seem very nervous these past few days. I didn't know it showed. What would you say if I was to tell you we're going to have a shipment of gold in this town in the next few days that'll pop your eyes right out of your head? Well, I'd say that I have to go now and ring the bells for vespers. But tonight, well, I usually start to write my Sunday sermon. But if you want to come over tonight and talk about a shipment of gold that'll make my eyes pop... Why, the sermon can always wait a while. A performance story from Phillips Petroleum. My name's Pete Wirt, and I'm president of a paving company here in Oklahoma City. We've fixed a lot of streets in the past few years, some more than once. It seems we kept repairing the same places and the same streets year after year. Excuse me. Hey, JR, move that roller off the mat! Sorry. We just couldn't always get the repairs to last. Then about four years ago, the city decided to try a new fabric underliner from the Phillips people. They called it Petromat, and they said it would make the streets last longer. Well, they weren't kidding. Where it's been used here in the city, there hasn't been a single pothole. Not one. Not one in four years which means not a single cent of taxpayers' money has been spent to repair them. And I'm happy about that, because part of that tax money is mine. Phillips Petroleum. Good things for cars and the people who drive them. In the cool of an April evening, as he worked on his next Sunday's sermon, Reverend Haller welcomes his friend, Marshall Blodgett, in the study of his modest church. I've been sort of nervous lately, as you remarked earlier. Something big coming up. That golden egg mine. The old shaft up there behind Buttercup Mountain? Yes, sir. Nobody knows it yet, but the golden egg is played out. Mine manager, sassy old cuss named McGraw, he sent me a message a month ago. Vane's played out. No more gold. He's letting go of them 15 miners he's got up there. 
Going to give him double the last month's wages and what he calls severance pay. Mm. Conscience money, I expect. And that's my problem. A lot of money when you lump it together. So much that it's risky to make the payoff up at the mine. Too easy for somebody to slide in there and steal that payroll. Yeah, probably three, four thousand dollars. <laughs> You're close. Anyhow, McGraw is going to have the payoff down here tomorrow at the bank. The cash is coming in tonight by stage, all in gold. McGraw don't hold with paper money. Nor do many people around these parts. That much gold draws baddens like flies to honey. I do figure we may have company. You know something? Well, been checking around. Spent a month's pay on telegrams. Got every wanted poster in three states lying on my desk right now. Uh. Now, where do you come out? Well, best odds to hit us is an outfit called the Mason Gang. Very smooth fellas. Always scout it out first and keep their numbers small as they can. I think I heard a song about the Masons once. Hmm. Let's see, how did it go? Uh, uh, one for the front door, one for the back, and one to get the money in the old gunny sack. And one to hold the horses. They do banks that way, just the four of them. Well, but they could be anywhere in a thousand miles. What says they'll come here? Just that funny feeling you get in this business. You've been around long enough. And one thing they're noted for, have it from the sheriff at Medville, old Lonnie Sims. They hit a bank on him there last spring. Lonnie says, watch for their scout. The guy comes into town weeks ahead, sets himself up as a businessman, so as to look the place over. I still don't see why you connect the Mason gang to this. Old Lonnie Sims says their scout sometimes sets itself up as a storekeeper. Let me introduce you now to two new friends on a picnic. Bill Miller, the storekeeper, has driven Elizabeth Slater, the schoolteacher, out to a cool and piney glade high on a granite cliff above the town of Eagle Ridge. See a long way from here. Oh, you certainly can. I brought cold chicken and a bottle of wine. Wine? Where the heck did you get wine out here? Oh, they freighted in for me. <laughs> school teacher with a wine cellar. How do you buy wine on $10 a month, school teacher? I am of independent <laughs> means, Mr. Miller. Isn't that why you're courting me? <laughs> no, it's because you're a, a beautiful lady in a land where the beautiful ain't ladies and vice versa. And you laugh easy. And you have a sparkle like the moon and the river. And I do cook very good chicken. Yes, you do. Yeah. And I'll take a drumstick. Um, as soon as you've tried your luck with this wine cork. And later, Bill Miller lay with his head on Miss Slater's lap and looked up. And knew pine trees had never been so beautiful. She leaned aside to escape the smoke of his Mexican cigar and asked him a question. Who are you, really? Bill Miller, storekeeper. Yes, and I'm a refugee princess from Imperial China. <laughs> oh, really? You're somebody else, Bill Miller. You walk kind of carefully... And you have a way of using your eyes when you come into a room. That's not like any storekeeper I ever saw. You've got big, soft hands that haven't really lifted store boxes and bales in years. Mm, what does all that mean? Well, I'm attracted to you. 
But I don't know if I want to be around any man very long when I don't know who he really is. I wonder about you too, Elizabeth Slater. School teacher who lives by herself in a big house, drives match Morgan trotting horses to her $100 rig, keeps a wine cellar, and freezes the men who come courting her with a stare as sharp as a January icicle. I didn't freeze you, did I? No, but you, <laughs> you made me push those school kids of yours in that tree swing almost an hour before you came out to thank me. <laughs> you looked so funny, pushing the swing and twisting your head to try to see me through the window. You didn't look quite comfortable. And school teaching doesn't seem quite comfortable for you, Elizabeth Slater. Oh, it's a way to live. Gives one peace. Everything but money. But I have enough of that. And no inheritance, either. I made it myself. Hmm. Honesty becomes you, Miss Slater. Especially when it might get you in trouble if it was to be spread around. Well, let's just say that a long time ago in San Francisco, there was a girl who ran a mm, boarding house. And she was very good at it. Made lots of money. But she learned to hate it. And one day she just got up the nerve to sell the boarding house. To come back to the mountains. Teach school, because her mother taught school. She always loved her mother. Oh, you see this, Mr. Storekeeper or somebody else. I'll use this on you some dark night if you ever repeat a word of what I've said. Put that little pistol away, please. Sorry. So am I. You can trust me without a gun, Elizabeth Slater. Now, I'll ask you to pour me some more of that clear white wine that's stronger than it looks. Chablis, Mr. Miller. Oh, thank you. Chablis. And now, let me tell you about a man I know. Farm kid from Ohio. Went with the cavalry to Shiloh and some other places. Learned to like shooting. Found out he was really good at it. But learned also that it's a little easier to talk your way to what you want than to shoot for it. Hmm. He got bent. This boy did bent real crooked. And he couldn't blame bad company or whatever. He just liked the easy way of things outside the law. Like what? Well, like helping banks figure out what to do with their money. <laughs> I heard a little rhyme about a man like that. One for the front door, one for the back. One to put the money in an old gunny sack. Where'd you hear that? One of the children came to school singing it. A harmless little tune about a robber gang called the Masons. Yeah, there's another line. And one to hold the horses. You've always got to have somebody hold the horses. You know how bank robbers work, Mr. Miller? Uh, well, no. We, we had to have horse holders in the cavalry, you see, whenever we fought dismounted. Oh, of course. Ah, why is it? Why do I have such bad luck with men? Here I've met this very interesting man, and now I'm afraid he'll be shot for a bank robber. Look, Elizabeth the Beautiful, pour us the last of that wine, and believe me when I tell you I'm just a plain old storekeeper. You don't talk like a storekeeper. You don't shoot like a storekeeper. Bet you don't even kiss like a storekeeper. Mm, worse luck if I did. Here, madam. You may judge for yourself. As a storekeeper and a teacher tried to untangle each other's identities, but decided to fall in love instead, 
A worried little Scotsman visited the marshal in his office far below the picnic pines. The owner of the Golden Egg Mine, Angus McGraw, tried to fence off his fear and tension with bluster. But it didn't really work. Angus McGraw, the golden egg. I know you. None of your damn jokes about how we're all out of golden eggs. I didn't name the godforsaken mine. I'd let them call it anything they wanted if my uncle willed me a gold mine. I'll take none of your lip, Sheriff. Marshal, please. No sheriff here. I'm deputy marshal for this territory, Mr. McGraw. And if you insist on raising your voice to me, I shall have you take your chair and sit out in the street. I am worth a million dollars, sir. I've never thrown a man worth a million dollars out of my office. But there's always a first time. Marshal, I'm scared as hell. You've heard the rumors about the gang? Well, yes, the Mason gang I've been hearing about, but only rumors. Where are all your armed guards to cover the payoff tomorrow? I wrote you that I'd pay for up to 20 rifles. My lord... We're up against the slickest gang of bank robbers west of the Mississippi. Now, Mr. McGraw, no one even knows if the Masons are within a thousand miles. And even if they are, they only come to four men. We are not fighting the massed armies of Emperor Napoleon. The payout starts at noon tomorrow. My miners and their families will all be here. They don't feel too good about losing their jobs in the first place. When they find out the payroll's been stolen... McGraw, the payroll ain't gonna be stole. Now, why don't you just get the hell out of here and come back when your money stage rolls in tonight? According to this magazine, Stanley, we don't kiss enough. Look, I get these cold sores. It hurts to kiss. Stop hurting. Start healing with Camphophonique. Just a touch of medically effective Camphophonique instantly stops pain of cold sores, helps speed healing by killing infectious germs and forming a protective Amalian shield. Bet our scores improved since a week ago. Way above average. Stop hurting. Start healing with Camphophonique, the little green bottle full of first aid. Use only as directed. Every time I shop, it seems prices have gone up. Well, I've found a way to save money without sacrificing my family's nutrition. A few times a week, I serve an egg dish for dinner. Scrambled eggs, omelets, the cookbooks are full of recipes. And egg dishes are high in protein. Eggs are one of today's best food buys. For instance, when eggs cost 75 cents a dozen, they're only 50 cents a pound. The Incredible Edible Egg. The American Egg Board. After Angus McGraw, the manager of the played-out mine, slammed out of his office, Marshal Blodgett had a feeling of uneasiness, and he certainly wouldn't have felt any better if he'd been at the town's bank at that moment. Storekeeper Miller was making a deposit and taking his time about it. Here you are, teller. $18.32. Oh, I'll take a receipt, thank you. (laughs) Not much to show for a week's work. Thank you, sir. And here's your receipt. Uh, Mr. Miller, sir. I said, here's your receipt. Huh? Oh, yeah. Say, nice, cozy little bank you got here. Just the one front door. Suppose you have a back door, too. Oh, yes, sir, back there. You have to go through the manager's office to get to it. (laughs) He likes to see who comes in and out the back way, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) And your accounting room? Don't have one. 
Any big shipments come in, see, we just use the manager's office there. Uh, I think that would make it easy for a, a bank robber just to slip in by the back and take what he wanted if he knew they was working there. No, sir, not that easy. It's double locked, and we keep a 12-gauge by the door to uh, answer any knocks we don't expect. Ah, <laughs> yes, I, I think that would do the job. Well, thank you, Teller. I wish you a good day now. Well, it'll be a long one for sure. Got to come back after supper and help count something special. Be a long night. Yes. Yeah, I expect it will. Good day to you. And Marshal Blodgett would have been even more uneasy had he been able to see into a clump of pines high on the canyon rim about seven miles east of the town. Well back in those pines were tied three big gaunt horses, the kind of stringy hammerheads favored by frontier cavalry. And sitting beside a very small fire, sipping coffee out of battered army mess cups were three tired and edgy men, bearded, heavily armed. One glanced at a battered pocket watch slid from a greasy leather vest and then nodded. The fire was doused with the last of the bit of coffee, and the men slouched to their horses, tightened saddle cinches, slid short rifles into scabbards, and mounted up. They rode their horses out to the canyon's flinty lip, sat there huddled in their faded blue army tunics against the cooling twilight wind. One man lifted a battered spyglass to his eye, watched a plume of brown dust swirl down the road far below. Soon all three could see the dusty brown stagecoach trailed by no less than seven men, each with a long gun across his saddle horn. The three men high on the granite cliff smiled at each other, the lip-drawing smile of the curly wolf, for such they were. And then three of the four members of the notorious mason gang turned and picked their way slowly down the cliffs down a trail that would bring them to the dusty road a comfortable mile or so behind that galloping stagecoach and its heavy pine boxes of gold coins for which they had plans that night. The marshal and I took our supper that night at Elder Bennett's boarding house, as we usually do Thursdays. The marshal and I have often discussed how Mrs. Elder Bennett can take good steaks from well-fed steers and turn them into thick brown boards that'll separate your teeth from your gums. But we agree that the only thing less to be desired is to eat our own cooking all the time. Well, we were joined at supper that night by storekeeper Miller. The marshal saw him passing on the street and pressed the invitation. Our conversation over the first cup of coffee was... Somewhat strained. Well, uh, thank you, gentlemen, for inviting me to sup with you. Say, Reverend Haller, pardon my remarking it, but are you carrying iron tonight? Uh, well, well yeah, yes, I am. I, uh, <laughs> since I am found out, I shall take this old war souvenir out of my belt where it's been bruising my stomach and lay it on my lap. Uh, much better. A little strange, ain't it? Ministers supposed to wear Bibles in their holsters, not a, a Colt's Dragoon. Oh, you're right. Of course, Mr. Miller. But uh, later on tonight, I intend being in a place uh, out of curiosity where I may need to protect myself. The bank, you see, has... Reverend a... Haller. <laughs> well, even a moonlight walk in these parts requires a precaution or two. That old horse pistol looks well used. Mm. <laughs> well, it's, it's time it was, sir. Though I, I must register the fact that it has not been used since I took the cloth. Oh, 
War service, sir? Oh, I had the honor to serve in the 5th Ohio Cavalry. Did you know? And suddenly it burst upon me. This middle-aged, clean-shaven storekeeper. I knew where I'd seen him before. And I wanted to shout a welcome to an old comrade on arms, but, but something cautioned me, held me back. The 5th Ohio Cavalry, you say? Gentlemen, I see that Mrs. Elder Bennett is still frying those poor steaks long after they're done, so let me take a moment for a tale from the war. A tale that may interest you especially, Mr. Miller. We were at Shiloh in a nasty little tangle that shortly became a nasty big tangle. I rode with my colonel down to Pittsburgh Landing to get new orders from that hard little man, Grant. And we found him by the stink of his cigars, even in the dark. And on the way back, we got lost, miserably lost. We blundered into a rebel picket, and my colonel was shot and dragged into a creek by his horse. I took a ball in the shoulder and went down, too, but managed to clear my stirrups. Well, just then, four men on horses came flying through the creek at a gallop, spraying water and revolver shots like a Fourth of July celebration. They bounced me and my colonel up behind their saddles and galloped us back to our lines. Oh, uh, thank you, Mrs. Bennett. Now, the young corporal who rescued us was a boy named Bob Mason, possessing a fine, full beard despite his tender years, and he and the three who rode with him were inseparable, served out the war, then told us they were going west together. Now, word has it that they found it easier to live by robbing banks than by honest work, and they took the corporal's name as their name, the Mason Gang. You tell a good war story, Reverend. It does not ring a bell of memory? None at all. My Lord, this state... And I suppose you never wore a full beard, sir? Nope. And you never served with the 5th Ohio Cavalry at Shiloh? I don't remember my regiment, Reverend. And you're spoiling my dinner with your questions. Men make very close associations with the units with which they serve in the war, Mr. Miller. I find it passing strange that your memory is so poor... Your collar prevents me from saying what I should like to say just now, sir. Gentlemen! For a few moments that evening, death was the fourth companion at our supper table. The storekeeper's hand was just inside his coat where it might rest easily on the butt of the short barrel revolver he had used with such recent skill. I let my eyes roll slightly toward the marshal, saw his thumb slide the thong off the hammer spur of his revolver, and I must confess something against which I was to pray forgiveness for many a night. My own hand was about my revolver, the hammer coming back under my thumb. Then, Miller's elbow hit the table. <laughs> well, there, I've, I've lost mistake. Well, gentlemen, I've other business this evening. Would you excuse me now and pay Mrs. Bennett for me when you pay your own? Marshal, Reverend, good night. System presents Mr. Ray Charles. Reach out, reach out, and touch someone. Reach out, call up, and just say hi. Don't you reach out, reach out, and touch someone. Wherever you are, you're never too far. They're waiting just to share your day. You can touch base with all your friends and family wherever they happen to be. 
All it takes is a thought and a telephone, and it feels so good. People from coast to coast, calling up friends to keep them close. Mm. Families who care so much, don't you know, they're keeping in touch. They're keeping in touch. Your telephone keeps you close no matter how far away you are. And keeping close is the best reason to call up and say hi. Reach out, reach out and touch. Lorne Green again, and here's the fourth act of The Storekeeper. The next chapter of that memorable evening in our raw little town occurred at the gabled mansion of our so-called teacher, Miss Slater. I heard about it much later from the lady herself. Evening, Elizabeth. Why, Mr. Miller, Bill, it's late, but come in. Yeah, I can't, I can't, but I need, I need to talk. Can you come out on the porch and sit with me a minute? If you want. I've got a shawl right here. Oh, good, good. Why don't we sit here on the swing? You're awfully nervous. Yeah, I am. I can't tell you why either. just wanted to see you again. Before I go. Oh, you're leaving? I'm so sorry. Now, don't go and get that schoolmarm's tone to your voice. I don't need it. Yes, I have to go one way or the other. I'm not sure which. Sounds like a melodrama. Our hero has come to a fork in the road. Yes, damn it, I have, and it's driving me crazy. And it doesn't include me? Bill Miller, I have some rights in your decision, too. We love each other. At least we say we do. I want us to be together. After the knocks we've had, we deserve a chance at something good. They know who I am. That day on the picnic, that was the truth I told you. I'm Bob Mason, and tonight we're going to take that mine payroll. Or we were... I don't want to know what you're going to do tonight. Don't tell me. Too many things against it. I know these people too well in this half-dead town. For the first time in my life, I want to be a storekeeper. Bring people things they need and make a little money at it, too. They know who I am. That marshal and, and the minister had me cornered in the boarding house tonight eating supper. The minister. I saved him once at Shiloh. He remembers me. They had you cornered? A sleepy old marshal and a man of God? Mm, but your pretty face they did. Oh, I know a shooting situation when I see it. That sleepy old marshal was half drawn out of his holster... And your man of God had an old Colts Dragoon right up on full cock, and he really wanted to use it. But you're really not running from them. <laughs> nope. Oh, when my, when my three friends come in, I can take that mine payroll slick as a whistle. They have a back door to the counting room. We can just blow down easy, be in and out before the dust settles. But you're not going to. Well, I'd like to be not gone to, but my three curly wolves, they don't take no for an answer, not even from me. Yeah. Maybe the easiest thing is just to do it and get the hell out of here. Could you do it without shooting? Could you do it without shooting, Mr. Mason? I heard you. And you know the answer. Good night. I don't know what you're going to do tonight, but I hope I see you again sometime. Now, I'm going to go and get a bottle of very good wine. Drink it all very slowly. Because I won't be able to sleep tonight. And I hope we both see the sun come up tomorrow. Uh, 
I sat with the marshal. And in the manager's cramped little shoebox of an office in the bank that night, watched the tired teller slide shiny gold coins out of sacks taken from the thick pine boxes, piled them on the table, then count them into the smaller bags that would go to McGraw's miners in the morning. Uh, Marshal, it's uh, it's ten o'clock. I have to go. I didn't expect you to stay this long, but gold makes a man want to stay and watch, don't it? Yeah, I've seen more of it tonight than I may see the rest of my life. <laughs> Now, you understand, I have to go. I don't need you. Yes, but but you're all alone. Not quite. Spent some of McGraw's money, hired four of them guards that come in with the money stage tonight. But I saw them all leave with the coach. You surely did. But you didn't see them come back in after dark. Two in the livery stable in the alley where they can cover the back door. Two more sitting on the porch across the street. So you've got some help. Well, I'd wish you a good night's sleep, but that'd be the worst thing that could happen, falling asleep. No, no sleep tonight. Not till after that money goes to the miners tomorrow. I didn't sleep much that night either. But instead climbed the rickety ladder to the bell tower of my church with my old spyglass to see a sight I shall never forget. At a little past midnight... A full moon popped up over the shoulder of the eastern mountains. And down the eastern trail, with the moon at their backs, came three men, cantering along almost without a sound, on horses whose hooves must have been wrapped in gunny sacks. I was sure it was the rest of the Mason gang. I raised my old revolver to fire three warning shots, but uh, held back. I saw a single figure break from the brush at the edge of the town and ride hard toward the men coming in. And they stopped, talked. Then all four turned and went back east along the trail, walking their horses slowly as though they were talking together. And suddenly, the talking ended. I hope you never have to see the Colt's revolver fired at night. But if you do... You will remark how bright the muzzle flashes can be, how they can light up the sudden violence of jumping, frightened horses as three tired and angry men attempt to kill a fourth. And then the shots fade into the mountains, and the distant running horses' sounds flutter off into the silver night, as though you never saw a thing at all. I propped myself in the church belfry and stared at the moonrise, until at last the glow of the coming sun profiled the mountains and then climbed down my ladder and went to bed. That morning, the miners got their pay, and a happy Angus McGraw gave the marshal a bonus, almost large enough to cover all the money he had spent on telegrams about the Mason gang. But that was not the end of it. Oh, no, not quite. For there remained the question of what had happened to our storekeeper, the man who had done the right thing in spite of himself and his three violent friends. What had happened to Bill Miller? The marshal and I had our answer a few weeks later. The conclusion of our story after these words. What's in a name? Well, it takes a lot of fine names to make Sears names stand for quality. Names you've always counted on, like Kenmore, Craftsman, Easy Living, and Die Hard. 
Names that kids and moms cheer, like Winnie the Pooh and Tough Skins. Names that are a part of your life today, like Permapress, Klingalon, and Winter 2. And, of course, there's Sears Best Products in everything from T-shirts to tractors. What's in a name? Well, it takes a lot of truly dependable names to make our name. Sears Roebuck & Company. Sinus flares up. I'm clogged up. Headaches. My whole face hurts. Help. Sent for. Sign off. Sign off helps relieve your pain, helps clear congestion, ease sinus pressure and post-nasal drip. Sign off does it all. Sent for. Sign off. And for the fastest known form of congestion relief, sign off spray. S-I-N-E-O-F-F. Sign off. The sinus medicines in the bright red box. Is here. For occasional use only as directed. Marshall and I had the end of our story and the beginning of a new one. As we watched the stage prepare for departure one morning, three weeks later. Miss Slater, you're leaving us? Yes, Marshall. Good morning, Reverend. Yes, Mrs. Quackenbush will teach the children for the rest of the term. Oh, might I ask your uh, destination? I'm going back to San Francisco. Oh, then you better get in. Old Charlie's looking at his watch. <laughs> well, I'm so happy. Old Charlie will just have to hold his stage for another minute while I tell you something. If you swear on the Bible... Oh, I do that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I meant no offense. No, I just thought you two might like to know that I'm going to visit a very special friend. A letter came three days ago. My friend had a bad accident while hunting, shot himself, and he was near death for a time. But he's much recovered now. I am going to nurse him back to health, then assist him in a new business venture. Uh, you'll be running a general store, no doubt. Hmm? You must know my friend. Goodbye. We handed the beautiful lady up to her seat in the coach and saw old Charlie raise his whip to the horses. But the marshal gestured at the driver and leaned to Miss Slater at the window. As you restore his health, please try to break his bad habits, Miss Slater. Like wearing a Colt's revolver under his apron. <laughs> oh, my, yes, Marshal. But we've already broken him of one bad habit, haven't we? Mm. The others will just have to take time. Reverend, come along to the tin cup. We'll have a little something to toast the Mason gang and a man who made sure they never came to visit us. How did that little song go? One for the front door, one for the back, and one to get the money in an old gunny sack. And one to hold the horses. waits for you that spirit comes shining through promising you a great day how could you think of starting this bright new morning without your k-e-double-l oh it's double good with kellogg's you'll have a great day kellogg's has been making great days for more people for more years with more cereals than anyone corn flakes rice krispies frosted flakes product 19 trust your morning to kellogg's Say 
The Mutual Radio Theater is brought to you five nights a week at this time. Tonight's original radio play, The Storekeeper, was written by John Allen and produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. Your host was Lauren Green. Our stars were John Larch, Keith Andes, Mary Jane Croft, and Vic Perrin. Featured in the cast were Tyler McVeigh and Jack Manning. The Mutual Radio Theater theme was composed by Nelson Riddle. John Harlan speaking. The Elliott Lewis production of Mutual Radio Theater is a presentation of CVI. This is Andy Griffith. Join us tomorrow at the same time. I've got another story I think you'll find riotously amusing. This is Ajax with a reminder to join us again next time for comedy, music, mystery, and drama on CreamCityUSA.com.